The world around us is desperately looking for joy, but only faith in Jesus can bring true joy. Join Dr. Andy Brown as he begins a new series on the book of 1 Thessalonians and discover how a church in the midst of turmoil can still maintain an expectation of great joy. This is Hearing is Believing. Join me in Acts, Acts 17, and then join me again in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And I'm excited to introduce this series to you today in 1 Thessalonians, but for us to really understand Thessalonians, I want to take us first to get some background material in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 17, and as you're turning over there, listen to this statement. The world around us is desperately searching for joy. The world around us is looking for anything to anchor their hope. And God, consider this, God has entrusted the church as His new creation to serve society, to give them a glimpse, however fleeting, of a brighter day, that be, of a brighter tomorrow that begins today. And if you consider the church, the church, you and I, we are born in a world full of turmoil. We are born in a world full of pain, but it's, it's through the adversity of the cross of Christ and it's through the scars of affliction that you and I point weary travelers towards certainty. And that certainty that we point them to is a celestial city filled with purest delight and absolute joy. And the assurance of the joy that we hold before the world, the assurance of the joy that we hold before the world, listen carefully, is the indestructible life of Jesus Christ. It was C.S. Lewis in his Mere Christianity who said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And it's that other world that we peer into this morning as we take God's Word and hear His voice calling us to Him today. And I'm excited to introduce this new series to you, this new series as we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians. And I've entitled this series, Expectations of Great Joy. And I thought, how fitting is it? Here we are at the beginning of a new year. It's the beginning of our time together. I am your pastor, your new pastor, you're my new church. What a great opportunity for us, especially coming out of 2020, for us to have all of this hope that's building, this anticipation that we're longing for. And so this series we're going to look at through Thessalonians, every verse, every word through Thessalonians, I've entitled Expectations of Great Joy. And when Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians, the flame of the church, remember this, it was just spreading. 1 Thessalonians is, ar is argued by some, and they're probably right, I guess, that it's the first book that Paul ever wrote in the New Testament. And so the church is brand new. The flame of the church is just spreading. What does that mean? It means that there are no tax benefits for participating in church giving. It means that there are no benefits from you joining a church and belonging to church in society. You get no benefits of saying, yeah, I belong to that church or I'm the member of this church. There's none of that. 
Instead, there's the opposite. There's persecution. There's hardship. There's misunderstanding. But that's not all there is. There's also this expectation of great joy, this expectation that the gospel of Jesus Christ means, an expectation that gave meaning to every moment of our lives. Faith in a crucified, risen, and coming again Messiah named Jesus Christ. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read Acts 17, the first couple of verses. We're going to read Acts 17, and then we're going to flip over to 1 Thessalonians and read the first verse of 1 Thessalonians. Hear the word of our God in Acts 17, just the first few verses. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined many and Silas, and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, taking some wicked men of the rabble, They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, and listen to this, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason had received them. And they were all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now over to 1 Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Would you pray with me this morning? Thank you, Lord, for this moment, this moment that we have to gather together, to delight in your word. I pray that it's clear. I pray these things trusting in the Spirit. In the name of the Son, to the glory of the Father. Amen. There's one song that keeps capturing my imagination, and it's this one. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. We are His new creation by Spirit and the Word. From heaven He came and sought her to be His holy bride, and with His own blood He bought her, and for her life. He died. And the next line says, mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore, till with the vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church 
victorious shall be the church at rest. And it's amazing to me, after reading, after reading what we read in Acts 17, learning the background of the beginning of this church in Thessalonica, of the turmoil and the riot that was brought because of jealousy, it's amazing to me that the first words that Paul opens to this church in Thessalonians are grace to you and peace. Seriously? Did he forget what just happened when he had to flee, when he had to run? Grace and peace? How could Paul's first words be grace and peace when the message, when the message he brought to the city was used by others to incite a riot? Now, there's a fresh word in our minds, isn't it? Riot. We had seen many a riot in 2020. And unfortunately, you and I, just a, couple, just a couple of weeks ago, we were watched in 2021 when a serious and historic riot took place at the U.S. Capitol building. And so that image of a riot should be fresh on our minds, but let's be clear this morning, crystal clear. Are you listening? Say amen. The gospel does not call for rioting. The gospel is often resisted through rioting, but the gospel of Jesus Christ would never incite a riot. If you're watching the television screen in this past riot, the one that has captivated the nation's attention, there were many Christian symbols at the Capitol the other day. There are also many Christian symbols that have been used in other riots that we've seen. But listen to the preacher this morning. This is not the way of Jesus Christ. The Paul who we see, remember, in Acts 17 is the same Paul who willingly submits to the sword of Caesar. When Jesus was poked and prodded towards a revolt, what did he do? Instead, he stood silent towards the one who accused him. And what did he tell him? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. The weapons, the weapons of Christ's warfare, they were not understood. And they're still not understood today. Listen, Jesus came and conquered not through a sword or by a sword, but through a cross. And the gospel will never call for a riot, though the gospel in its nature is, is so antithetical to the values of our godless society that the response that the gospel often receives is violence. Just think about the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters who right now are meeting underground in fear for their lives or in expectation, not necessarily fear, but an expectation that they could be caught and they could be martyred for Jesus. And it's interesting to me to think about the weapons of the world's warfare versus the weapons that we're called to come to arms with. But it's interesting to me that the only message that brings everlasting peace in this world is often received violently. And so Paul says peace. To a group in the middle of conflict, Paul says peace. 
He sets peace to remind them and assure them that they are sealed of God, chosen of Him, partakers of God's divine nature. And though the outward be decaying, the inward is being renewed day by day. And what God renews inwardly, though resisted by the outside world, will eventually, what God renews inwardly, even though it's resisted, is going to eventually fill up the whole earth. The Bible says the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And when the earth is filled with the knowledge of the Lord, then the world will know peace, love, and joy. And the peace the world seeks and the joy it brings does not come from anything formed by the hands of men. We need to say that clearly as we can. It doesn't, it, the peace that the world needs doesn't come from anything that the hands of man can accomplish. Instead, it comes from above. And get this, what is from above comes to us through the Father sending the Son and then sealing us with the Spirit. God takes what's from above and puts it within so that what's within will fill the earth without. Don't miss that. The Spirit is within us as a guarantee until, the Bible says in Ephesians, we take possession of it. And what is the possession that we're longing to take? That possession is that possession of fullness of joy. And so God has put hope within us. And the hope that God has put within us is not a hope that's going to disappoint. It's never going to disappoint. You're never going to get to heaven and you're, is this it? Is this really all there is? You're never going to come to Jesus if you really have an encounter with Jesus and say, is this it? Is that all that there is? Hope does not disappoint. Instead, the hope that God gives leads to everlasting joy. I love Augustine's perspective on the joy Jesus offers. And I'll tell you a little bit about Augustine, one of my favorite church history guys. In 410, in 410, that's a long time ago, in 410, Rome was sacked by the Visigoths. And he wrote this masterpiece called The City of God. And in that City of God, he wrote it to encourage Christians And here's what he says to them. This joy in God that we have is not like any pleasure found in physical or intellectual satisfaction, nor is it such as a friend's experience in the presence of a friend. But if we are to use any such analogy, the joy that we have is more like the eye rejoicing in light. The eye rejoicing in light. And it is this joy that the church offers to the world. It's this joy that you and I carry to blinded eyes. Blinded eyes begin to see through the light that is Christ. And it's that light that he has entrusted to us. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then he looks to his disciples, he looks to you, he looks to me, and he says, you are the light of the world. Hide it under a bushel, 
Let's try that again. We to- you missed that totally. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. Y'all are getting better. I'm going to let it shine. All right. That's what we teach our kids, that they're the light of the world. And that's what we are. Some of us, me included, prayerfully the joy that Christ gives us will radiate from our faces, even if it's under a mask. It'll radiate from our faces so that we will let the world know that there is a Savior who lives, who saves, who can raise the dead. And He is raising the dead in me, and He'll raise the dead in you. Augustine, he says again, the earthly city has made for herself, according to her heart's desire, false gods out of any sources at all. False gods, Augustine says, even out of human beings, that she might adore them with sacrifices. The heavenly one, on the other hand, like living like a wayfarer in this world, makes no false gods for herself. On the contrary, she herself is made by the true God, that she may be herself a true sacrifice to Him. Only the hope that Jesus offers is true hope. You say, well, why is that important? Because only this hope leads to joy. It's only this hope in a crucified, risen, and coming again Savior. It's only this hope that leads to fullness of joy. And the foundation of our joy is that we are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Being in God, listen to the Bible, listen to the way that it's laid out, 1 Thessalonians 1, being in God is our guarantee of grace and peace. And if you have grace and peace this morning, it's because God gave it to you. And if you have grace and peace that God gave to you, then I can assure you beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have joy. That makes sense. You have joy. So 1 Thessalonians gives us the gospel principles that we see practically playing themselves out in Acts 17. So it's interesting. What's the background? Is Acts 17 the background of 1 Thessalonians? Or is 1 Thessalonians the background of Acts 17? Why on earth would Paul continue on in his missionary journeys? Well, the reason is because of the principles that he laid out in 1 Thessalonians, where he's encouraging this young church to keep going, to press ahead. And so as we think about the conflict that the newborn church faced, we're reminded of our own mission and purpose. Have you this morning decided to follow Jesus? Have you? Well, then there's no turning back. No turning back. Jesus came into this world filled with conflict and overturned the conflict through conflict. You get that? Though his conflict was different. Listen to this statement. He came without a sword to be put under the sword so that he could shatter the sword through his indestructible life. Jesus came without a sword to be put under the sword so that he could shatter the sword 
through His indestructible life. And amazingly to me, and I sometimes wish that it was a different way, but amazingly to me, God uses the conflict of this world that you and I face to hurl, uh, or, or rather to flame, the, the fan, to fan into flame the, uh, the flame of the Spirit as He changes the world. So God uses the conflict that this world hurls towards His saints to fan the flame of the church. And the foundation of our joy is the indestructible life of Jesus. And this Jesus guarantees all who follow Him, you're going to be with Him for forever. And so as we set our, uh, set our hearts and set our minds towards this journey through First Thessalonians together, what I want to do is I want us to understand this faith that has come is a faith that not only overcomes the world, listen, but overturns the world. It doesn't just overcome the world, it overturns the world. Faith in Jesus gives us true joy. And so very quickly, quickly what I want to do is I want to point out four truths this morning about joy. Four truths from 1 Thessalonians, and I encourage you to take a pencil or a piece of paper and pen and write these down. They're going to be up on the screen for you. Four truths about joy from 1 Thessalonians, and then we're going to flip back to Acts 17. So it's going to be four truths about joy from 1 Thessalonians and Acts 17. True joy, number one, comes from God. True joy, number one, comes from God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, notice the way that Paul opens the letter. Look into what he says. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace. Pay special attention there to that preposition. I have it underscored in my Bible, that word in, in, the source of comfort and joy even in the midst of great difficulty, is that we are in God. We are in God, meaning that we belong to Him. God is our source. He is our salvation. God is our security. And that little word, that little preposition, in, means that you and I are not following a clever, devised myths made up from individuals. We're not following somebody's idea. No, the, this plan to save the world called the church didn't originate with councils, but when the, within the communion of the Holy Trinity. In other words, God is the one who f- is the foundation of our joy. God is the one who founded the church. We, as His church, say that we have received a word from God. And the word that we've received from God is called the gospel, the good news of God's salvation to save whomsoever. And so the gospel creates the church, not the church creates the gospel. That's important. The gospel creates the church, not the church creates the gospel. College students, listen, you're going to be in classes at Mississippi State 
and you're going to take like I did at another college in Georgia. You're going to have a philosophy professor who's going to try his best, or a psychology professor, or maybe a biology professor, try his best to convince you to say, see, the Bible is something that was made up by men, councils of men. But get this point clear. God created the church. The church did not create God. We are made in His image. We don't want a God that we can make in our image. We want true God from true God. God founded the church. The gospel creates the church, not the church creating its message. We are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He has caused us to become partakers of His divine nature. And right now, He is renewing our minds. He is making all things new. We are part of the new that He is bringing to the world. Through the Father and the Son and in the Spirit, we have fellowship with God. And God invites us to live with Him for forever. I know some of you out there, perhaps you're looking and you're saying, wait just a minute, <laughs> you're getting all of that from that one word in? You're getting all of this from this preposition in? All of that can't be understood from all of that little one word in, can it? And let me just say this, the Greek language is so precise, if Paul wanted to say of or from, he could have. But he chose the word in. And we need to look at that as, as students of the Scripture and understand why. Why did Paul say in? He said in to give the new church the absolute assurance that through them, the eternal light of God begins to shine clearly in a dark region in a region filled with idolatry, in a region filled with hopelessness, in a region filled with sorrow. Paul is going to tell the first Thessalonians later when we get to the end, he's going to tell these Thessalonians that they are children of the day, meaning that in them joy has dawned. And the joy that dawns in us is the eternal joy of God the eternal joy of God. And I want to say this to you this morning. If you have gotten over Jesus, I question whether or not you were ever under Jesus. Because in Him is fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. And He holds us there that's where he holds us. I have you in the palm of my hand. Jesus said, no one can snatch them. And that's exactly where the Father has us. In his right hand. And at his right hand, there is fullness of joy. They are the church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's go back to Acts just for a minute and let's Let's look at Acts, and then we'll find out some of the rest of these principles. 
about the joy that they now share. The next point is pivotal in our understanding of the foundation of our joy. Number two, true joy not only comes from God, true joy is grounded in Scripture. The assurance of our joy rests in holy Scripture. Oftentimes, you and I, we talk about reading the Bible. But listen, the Bible is not just a book that we read, so much it is a book that reads us. It's not just a book that we read, so much it is a book that reads us. And the Bible answers every foundational question that you can throw its way. The Bible is the true story of the whole world. It tells us origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, just to name a few things. How much joy there is. Think about it. When we say that true joy is grounded in Scripture, how much joy comes from knowing that God loves you? God loves you and has an amazing plan for your life. How much joy comes from knowing God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And at the center of the story of Scripture is the life that holds each life together the life of the incarnate Son of God, who is Himself hope. Look at what happens here in Acts 17, the first three verses. Look at what happens. They come, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from where? From the Scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Some of you, if we were to ask this morning, name the places in the Scripture where it talks about Jesus suffering and rising from the dead. Could you do that for three weeks? We have to take away the New Testament, by the way. Because when it says here that Paul's in the synagogue and he's reasoning from the Scriptures, you know what he's using? He's using the Old Testament. You know what he's saying? He's saying that the whole message of the Old Testament is centered on this Christ. And what is it in particular about this Christ? That he is going to suffer and rise from the dead. And then look at what happens here. And then Paul kept saying, or he said, this Jesus is, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. So where did he reason? He reasoned from the Scriptures, the Old Testament. What was the joy-filled message of the Old Testament? That Christ would suffer and rise from the dead, and that Jesus is the Christ. That's the hope-filled center of the Scriptures. The crown of our joy is a Savior who was promised in the Scriptures. This Savior patterned His life after the Scriptures, who came to give His life and be raised from the dead, to offer life to all of those who trust in Him. Paul's message of joy comes from Scripture. And listen, we have the same Scripture that he had. And we have the same, or we have the key that unlocks the meaning of joy. What's His name? Jesus. He's the key to understanding the Bible. No other interpretation will satisfy. No other way to read the Bible will do other than Jesus, only Jesus. 
praise God for Scripture. When you read that book that, you know, it's coming up on the first of the year, probably some of you are going about and reading Genesis. Maybe you're all already in Exodus by now. Leviticus is coming, right? And that's the book. Oh, no, I got to get through Leviticus. What if you were to look at Leviticus and try to figure how does Leviticus point to Jesus? Because that's what it's about. Every page Sally Lloyd-Jones says in her Jesus Storybook Bible for Children, and she's right, every page, every story, she says, whispers his name. If only we could leave things here. Here we are with a Bible in our hands searching for joy. But things just aren't that simple when we talk about true joy. Two other points that we need to learn about the joy that Jesus offers. Number three, true joy, listen, faces opposition. And here in Acts, we see a report of how the good news is received. And I want to focus on the contrast first. Look at verse 5. The joy we share with Jesus is a joy that is misunderstood and that is oppressed by the world. If they only knew if they only knew true joy, but, but they don't. Remember what Jesus said from the cross? Jesus said, Father, forgive them. What did he say? For they don't know what they're doing. And remember this too. Jesus calls us to follow him. And following Jesus means taking up our cross and coming after him. Jesus told us plainly in John, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Remember that it hated me first. The joy of Jesus faces opposition. The joy that you have in Jesus as you carry it into your classroom, as you carry it into your workspace, as you carry it into your home, maybe you're the only believer there. The joy that Jesus offers, gives, faces opposition. But look at what happens after the riot. And I love the way that they say in verse 6, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. But look at what happens. They take Jason out. They drag him out. They persecute Jason. But look at what happens right at the end. Jason was let go. Paul moved on. Jason's going to show up again in Romans chapter 16. The gospel keeps going. Paul goes to Berea and finds greater success. He goes to Athens. He goes to Corinth. And then he writes Thessalonians. And then you and I are here today reading about the joy that Jesus offers. You see, true joy, number four, true joy can't be stopped. It cannot be stopped. You see, Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail. The gates of hell did not prevail at Calvary. The gates of hell did not prevail at the dark, cold tomb. The gates of hell did not prevail in Jerusalem. They didn't prevail in Greece. They didn't prevail in Rome. The church is outlasting hostile kings and empires even to this day. Russia in her days of atheistic communism couldn't stop the spread of the church. China can't stop the spread of the church. North Korea can't stop the spread of the church. The coronavirus can't stop the spread of the church. The policies of states and governors, supreme courts and politicians are no match for the everlasting, ever advancing church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a message for the world that one day every knee will 
will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The church cannot be stopped. The church has the message of hope, the message that brings true and everlasting joy. And let me just simply ask you today in closing, what's stopping you from accepting Jesus? What's stopping you from laying it all down and saying, Jesus, I trust in you. You see, here's the hope that we have. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. One day every knee is going to bow. If you bow now, it means salvation. If you bow later, it means everlasting condemnation. What's stopping you from following Jesus? Father in heaven, it's my prayer that everyone within the sound of my voice would truly know joy and the satisfaction that comes from serving and belonging to Jesus. And Lord, if there's one here today that's not a Christian, if there's one here today that hasn't said, I have decided to follow Jesus, may today be the day that they respond to you as they hear your voice calling them. May today be their day of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you would like to learn more about how we're taking the gospel from Startville to the ends of the earth, visit www.fbcstartville.com.